0: and yeah, not so much in the summer like it is right now except for this here, here's what i've realized you know what um at home in in the high desert uh, we have a moisturizer that we use on our skin all the time out here you don't need it I, i'm thinking I, I put the lotion on but i don't need the lotion out here and, and you know what happens as well you guys all look so young. I mean, I see these people that I've known for years and they still, when they move back here, they look so young and I figured it out. You guys have the built-in moisturizer. As soon as you walk out these doors, boom, moisturizer comes on you. And, uh, so you, you, you know, there's some benefits to that, uh, kind of a thing. So enjoy the sweat. Okay? <laughs> Where I come, it's a, it's drier, but. And, uh, anyhow, let's get out our Bibles this morning and, uh, turn, to uh, the book of Judges. We are in the book of Judges this morning, chapter 7. I'm going to do a different study than I did first service, so you guys are get a little different message, just for fun. So, so if you're working on the titles for the tape right now, tape, tape. Do you remember when we used to have tape, video, I mean audio tape? you remember cassettes? How many of you still have a cassette player? Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you don't even know what a cassette player is? Raise your hands. Okay. Judges chapter 7. My uh, goal not to uh, bore you and keep you too long. I uh, heard a story about a woman named Gladys who uh, was attending uh, church services on a particular Sunday. And the sermon seemed to go on forever. So as a result, when the sermon goes on forever... uh, People tend to uh, fall asleep in the congregation, and that's exactly what happened in this situation. And so after the service, everybody a little bit groggy, Gladys gets up, decides to be friendly. She walks up to a very sleepy-looking gentleman in an attempt to revive him from his stupor. She extends her hand, and she says, Hello, I'm Gladys Dunn. And the gentleman replied, You're not the only one. Get it? Gladys, done. Gladys, done. So so there you have it. Judges chapter 7. Tell my message is what God can do with a few. And let's pray before we begin. Lord, we are thankful for this time to be able to come as your church and gather in this place. Lord, the church meeting in this building, Lord, for the purpose of worshiping You together and, Lord, to study Your Word. And, Father, for that reason, uh, Lord, we need the Spirit, Your Holy Spirit, to bring illumination to us because it is He that is the Teacher. And so, Lord, I pray that You would fill me with the power of Your Spirit and the anointing of Your Spirit to preach. I pray that You would anoint the ears of the listeners to hear what Your Spirit has to say to us as Your church today. And Lord, I pray if there's any here in our midst that have not yet given their lives to You, God, that You would touch them, that they would sense Your love and Your presence in Your people today, and they might come into a knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Lord, bless this time now of study in Your Word. Continue to strengthen us as Your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me start off by asking a question, and that is, how do you think things are going? I mean, as you look around at, at your uh, home, your a family, your life personally, as you look at the country, uh, how do you think things are going? Now, let me ask you another question. What kind of impact do you think the church and Christianity is having practically on our society. Now, it's interesting because the United States is known around the world as a Christian nation. And there are some reasons why someone hearing that might think it's true. In in this uh, country, uh, hundreds, there are hundreds of Christian radio stations. There are Hundreds of Christian uh, television programs. Ninety-six percent—that's a little less now. That this is from a few years back. The statistic uh, of all Americans profess to believe in God. One hundred and one million claim to be born again believers. Seventy-six uh, percent profess to be Christians. And 62% of all Americans say they've made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And that's still important in their life today. Now, if that's the case, if America, in fact, is a Christian nation. And as godly as she is thought to be and professes to be. Then you would think that that should be reflected in its behavior nationally, wouldn't you? Listen to some more facts. The United States remains the world's biggest users of prisons, putting more people in prison than anybody else on earth. One out of every 136 people. For every 100,000 people in the United States, 737 are behind bars. Over 2 million Americans are in prison, costing taxpayers over 30 billion a year. That doesn't sound too good for a Christian nation, does it? 1 million teenagers want to run away from home every year, and suicide is now the second leading cause of death among teenagers. Uh, this year, America will spend over 8 $84.6 billion on gambling, according to the American Gaming Association. And, and, you know, I live close to Las Vegas, and I can tell you right now, uh, if you've ever been to Las Vegas, you see all these kind of fancy buildings and architecture. And, and guess what? None of those buildings and architecture were paid by those who won. <laughs> Just remember that. Uh, it wasn't made, they're not making money on the people who won. Uh, those are, that money's made on the people who lose. This year, 2.5 million children will be reported as being abused, missing, or abducted. And reports now show that the number one killer of children is their own parents. And we've seen that. Radical stuff going on where mom will kill all her kids and then kill herself. I mean, or or the dad will do so. We look around and there's, uh, according to the statistics, 50,000 drug-addicted children are born every year just in, and you might probably believe this, California. You're going, yeah, those Californians, that's why we're here. Every year 800,000 babies are born to unwed teenagers. I know I I do when I do a wedding today, we more often do weddings for people who bring their kids uh, to the wedding. Uh I mean it's just the it's the sign of the times. The homes falling apart, alcoholism, drug problems, racism, we all are very familiar with the Present a situation there. Financial pressures—we uh, recognize the struggles there. So we look around at our nation, and though it's Christian, what's what's going on? It seems to be deteriorating at a, at a rapid rate. So what what gives here? Why why is th- why are things this way? And 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 listen, how can it be changed? Is it possible that with the flood of change in this downward spiral away from, well, what God values and views around? What can I do? What can you do? I mean, we think, well, I'm just one person. And I'm not really in a position, Pastor, to, to have an impact of any real significance. I mean, it's just me. And it can be discouraging. You can feel kind of lonely, kind of isolated, kind of, you know, I'm not get, having a real impact. And we can feel that way because of evil and perversion that is all around us. Causing us to ask, How can God possibly, and is it possible, to turn this nation around? The answer to that question, listen, believe it or not, all he needs are a few good men and women. God doesn't need a a huge population to make a change, you see, in this nation. Case in point, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said this Give me a hundred men who fear nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I will turn this world upside down for Jesus Christ. I will also hear static. (laughs) Is it because these batteries are gone or what? It's the plug. On the pack, is it loose? Let me see. Let me make sure. Maybe the aerial. hang on. Okay, let's see if that takes care of it. But in our text here, before us in Judges, we have a, a familiar story, especially for those of you in the Bible Belt. Before us, a, a guy by the name, well, you know him, you, maybe you remember him from Sunday school. His name... Gideon, it's not just a a Bible organization that puts Bibles in hotel rooms, but there is actually a person in the Bible, just in case you didn't know, by the name of Gideon. Gideon is being confronted by a terrorist group known as the Midianites. Yes, terrorism is not new. Satan is the ultimate terrorist. Do you know that? Nothing new. The Midianites were deadly enemies of the nation of Israel, and they are a picture of the world. They are a picture of the flesh and and the devil that the church faces today. And God taught Gideon some great lessons on warfare and how to have victory against such a, a powerful and radical enemy that can enable us as men and as women and as the church corporately to be victorious personally in this spiritual warfare that we are engaged in presently and may even be able to impact in a way, and this is my prayer, I don't think it's too late. For God to do a work and bring revival to this nation. And perhaps the reason we are not mentioned in, pro- in prophecy as a nation is because we're all raptured out of here. That's, that's my prayer, really, people. That's my prayer. I'm asking. Uh, we can't. Uh, I can't make it happen. All I can do is in my own life as you can do in your own life. God, make me do your work in me, Lord. Um, bring a revival in my own heart. You see, that may spread out into the nation. I think of Jonah. A nation on the verge of judgment. God sends Jonah to this nation. A nation that he wasn't really interested in seeing judgment spared from. He wanted these guys wiped out. When he finally arrives with a message of repentance, he's hoping they don't, But they do. And God spares the nation in the final hour. It's my prayer for our nation. That God would move in such a way through us, through His children, through His church, into this nation. That as we go out, like Jonah, hopefully with a better attitude. With some love, real love and compassion. To reach out. To so many that are caught up in all kinds of perversions, you see, increasingly. And to reach them with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here in our text, we're going to learn that as far as God's concerned, it's not how many are in the army. It's the commitment and integrity of those that matters, you see. That's key. What do we see here as we see God choosing out an army which will ultimately lead to victory over this terrorist nation, these Midianites, to give them, to defeat them, rather, and to give victory? Well, it's interesting. Here's how he starts. He starts with a purge and not a surge in the numbers. What's that? Well, he says to Gideon, essentially, let's upgrade the quality and not the quantity of your army. And he tells Gideon, "Here's what I want to do. I want to I want to bring victory. I want to bring uh, you know uh, the enemy uh, down. Uh, but uh, first, the way I'm going to begin." Well, this is not the conventional wisdom, you see. What's he tell him to do? The first thing he says, Gideon, you have an army of 32,000 men. You're going out to face the army of Amidianites and Amalekites that had a combined force of 135,000 men to the 32,000 men. And so you're outnumbered four to one. Now here's a... Here's proof that, as the Bible says, God's ways are not our ways. Because here's what God says to Gideon. Uh, then uh, Jeroboam. That is Gideon in verse 1 of chapter 7. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Amora in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hands have saved me. What's he start out? What's the first thing he does? He says, let's remove the fearful in your army there, Gideon. There's an important, essential lesson for us to learn about our God given in Isaiah 42, verse 8, where he says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. You see, God had commanded Gideon to go out and to fight the Midianites. He was going to make sure that Gideon got the victory, but God wanted to make sure that while Gideon got the victory, he, God, got the glory. Every time that God does something for us, with us, or through us, He wants us to say, along with the psalmist, in Psalm 118, verse 23, this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Or I like the message, it's a paraphrase, and I don't recommend it for studying, but it's a nice read, and sometimes it reads very appropriately. It it reads like this, Uh, this verse is uh, is, uh, translated, this is God's work, we rub our eyes, and we can hardly believe it. That's great. We rub our eyes, I'm blown away. It's the work of God. You see, if Gideon had gone out and defeated the Midianites with uh, the 32,000 man army, they would have been tempted to think that they did it. It would have been like a story about a, a woodpecker uh, that I heard about in California, pecking away on a big, thick redwood tree, and while he was uh, pecking on that thing, a, a lightning bolt struck unexpectedly, hit the giant redwood, and cut it in half. Well, the woodpecker flew off, and a few minutes later, he was seeing, seen flying back with ten other woodpeckers behind him, saying, "There it is, right over there, gentlemen. I did that." There's that temptation. God gives Gideon some strange instructions here when he tells them, hey, he tells him, listen, I want you to go before this 32,000 man army and I want you to say, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him go, go ahead and go home and get out of here. And at once we read there in verse three, from Mount Gilead it says, 22,000 of the people returned. And 10,000 remained. That's like no small evacuation, right? I mean, you have 32,000 and he says, hey, any of you that are fearful? Now, th- these are men. You know, they're, they're, they're going into battle. You would think that they, just for their ego's sake, when he says, anybody that is fearful and afraid and not up to the task, go home. You would have think that, well, not 22,000 would leave. You would have think just their macho-ness and, no, I'm staying. But suddenly, whoo, 22,000 are gone. What? I mean, I don't know that, I'm, I wonder if Gideon's jaw dropped. You wimps, chickens! I mean, I, I don't know that he said that on the way back, but I, I'm sure he felt that way. By the time Gideon picked himself up off the ground and the, the, the dust had cleared, his army was reduced to a 10, a thousand men. What's that say? Well, you see, there are 32,000 there, but the majority of them obviously didn't want to fight. I believe the church is under a curse today. Not the, not, not a satanic curse. I'll call it the cowardly Christian curse. People just, you know, apathetic and, And want to come in and cruise in. And Christian, man, I'll be a Christian at Sunday. I'm really going to be a Christian today. I'm going to cruise into church. I'm going to sit in the padded seats, enjoy the AC, little music, little Bible study. And then, boom, I'm gone. And then I live like the devil the rest of the week. I don't think much about God the rest of the week. You see, when it comes to what God has ordained for the church to be doing, many are checked out. Many years ago, 32 years ago now, when I went to the high desert, it's a small church of about maybe 100, 120 people, I had several people say to me, listen, don't go changing things here. We like our little church. You start doing this evangelism thing like Greg Laurie and... And the harvest thing. And, and we don't want it to grow into a big church like Harvest. And this was a couple of the high school kids at the time. To which I responded, well listen. Uh, however many come is up to God. Uh, my job is to preach the gospel. And, and listen, this church doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. This church belongs to Jesus. And I want Him to make this church all He wants it to be. I want this church to grow spiritually and I want this church to grow numerically. And I believe that that will happen as we preach the gospel and love the people and they grow and mature spiritually. I think that's the case. Listen, a soul-winning, evangelistic, faith-walking, devil-fighting, strong-preaching, fast-growing church. I I was there at Harvest. I I remember in the early days of of Calvary Chapel of the High Desert when, man, it was growing and growing. It was crazy. That kind of growth isn't for the faint of heart. It, It takes some... Some spiritual maturity and, and some trust in God. And, and you realize that uh, I can't control this. I can't make it grow. No man can make a church grow. You see, God adds to the church daily those that should be saved. But the church should be a church that is preaching. That is going out there. And seeking to win the lost to Jesus Christ. These men... Fearful men, not up to the task, they left. Listen, the fearful, they're good at fleeing, but they're not good at fighting. Uh, Of course, the goal is, is hopefully, if you're fearful fearful and afraid today, you don't flee, uh, you grow in faith. Because as you grow in faith, you learn to fight, you see. That's what it's all about. So these men leave, cowards, walking away, uh, not uh, ready to advance, you see, when God called them out. Deuteronomy chapter twenty reads like this Then the officers shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren. Faint like his heart. One thing that's dangerous about the fearful is if you keep them around, guess what they tend to do? Not only are they a danger to themselves, but they're a greater danger uh, to the rest of the army because they spread the fear. They talk about the fear. Fear is something that is contagious. And it influences others. That's why Gideon said, you know what? Uh, God told Gideon, you tell the fearful and afraid to go home. There are uh, many churches that are full of people who want to tell you it costs too much and that you can't do this or can't do that or that this thing won't work. and, And they never attempt to do anything outside their comfort zone by way of sharing their faith or reaching out into the community. You see... Gideon didn't need soldiers focused on their foes and their fears and their faults and failures. They needed he needed an army that was focused on their father in heaven. Man God can use the feeble. God can use the frail. He can use the flimsy but he can't use the fearful. That fear must be replaced in faith. How's that happen? Through the word of God. You see, until they have said their prayers and exercised their faith, they can't move ahead. But it's Christians, you see, who believe the word of God and who are up to the task of doing the work of God. We read in Second Timothy, chapter one, verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's the devil who's the minister of fear. 365 times, interesting. Somebody has counted this. I didn't. I just want you to know that. I just read this statistic. There are 365 times in the Bible, one for every day of the year. In one form or another, we are told to fear not. So if you want an army that will fight to win, you need number one to remove the fearful. Number two, Number two, if you're taking note, you need to remove those who are too casual. Now, things could have been worse. Gideon had lost 22,000 men, but he still had 10,000 left. So he goes, well, i got 10,000 left. That's still outrageously outnumbered. I mean, he could have lost all but... A few hundred, but 10,000 was still uh, at least a a decent-sized army. And I can imagine maybe one of Gideon's generals coming over and say, Well, cheer up, uh, Gideon. Things could be worse. You you still got 10,000. And so uh, Gideon uh, perhaps took a little comfort in that, but but it didn't last long because God wasn't finished yet. The odds were now 14 to 1. And when the Lord came to Gideon and he said to Gideon, here, uh, the army is still too big. Uh, Let's read verse four. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Uh, Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Uh, Then it will be that of... Whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. And so he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps." You shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. And then the Lord said to Gideon, By three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. What's God doing here? He's giving them a test. You never know when God is testing you. These men weren't told by Gideon, Hey guys, got a test to see who stays and goes? Nope. He just said, Men, 10,000 of them, go down to the, to the river there and get a drink. That was all he said. These men had no idea that this was a test. You never know. You see, and what is about to take place wouldn't have seemed to be anything more than everyone taking a break and, and getting a drink of water. But there was more to it than that. Uh, it Reminds me of a story of uh, two football players who were taking an important final exam if they failed Uh, This, they would be on academic probation and not allowed to play in the sugar bowl the following week. The exam was a, a fill in the blank. And the last question read, old McDonald had a blank. That was a guy named Bubba. He was stumped. He had no idea the answer. He knew he needed to get this one right to be sure he passed. So making sure the professor wasn't watching, he tapped Tiny on the shoulder. He said, Tiny, what's the answer to that last question? And Tiny laughed and he he looked around to make sure the professor hadn't noticed and he turned to Bubba and he said, Bubba, you're so dumb. Everyone knows old MacDonald had a farm. Oh yeah, Bubba said. I remember now. So he picked up his pencil and he started to write the answer in the blank. And he stopped, He reached up and he tapped Tiny's shoulder again. And he whispered, Tiny, how do you spell farm? You're really dumb, Bubba. That's easy. Farm is spelled (laughs) E-I-E-I-O. Never know. Don't flunk the test. When God gives them. He has all of these men. They've been marching all day long in the hot sun. And they go down to get a drink. One group gets on his knees and buries their face in the water. Oblivious to everything else that's going on around. Not paying attention you see. Uh, That uh, there's a war going on. There's a a real enemy out there. And all they cared about was the water at that point. God said to Gideon, uh, you can exclude those who just got down in the water. Why? You might think, that's just a little thing. I wonder why God would do that. I mean, the one group put their face in the water and one group drank from their hands. It seems like such a little thing. Let me tell you something. God cares about the little things in our life. It's the little things many times let go that get us in trouble. Little things not uh, paid attention to, not dealt with, that uh, mount up to big things, don't they, in a marriage? It's, It's not any big problem, it's a bunch of little problems that turned into big problems. God cares about the little things. Michelangelo was working on a statue one afternoon when some of his friends had visited him. A month later, they returned and found he was still working on the same statue. And they said, why have you uh, been working on this uh, statue for so long? I mean, you were working on it uh, in our last visit. He said, oh, I've uh, smoothed a line here and polished an arm there, taken a few flakes of marble from the forehead. and, And he went on and they said, But those are only trifles. Is that all you've done? Michelangelo replied, They may be trifles, but trifles make perfection, and perfection is no trifle. Take care of the little things that are chipping away at your life spiritually, that are chipping away at your marriage, at your friendships, and and your service to Christ. Be careful. You see, these men were careless, and while their heads were buried in the water, they could have been attacked or killed by the enemy. There are two dangers, saints, in any war. Number one, to overestimate the enemy. That's what the uh, fearful did when they fled. The other danger is to underestimate the enemy. That's what the careless did. You can get into big trouble when you underestimate your enemy. I heard about a man who was uh, in the courtroom. He had been severely beaten and brutalized by a, a big bully. The judge says, well, uh, uh, sir, would you mind describing the man that beat you up? To which uh, he said, oh, no, Your Honor, I don't want to describe him. That's what I was doing when he beat me up. Yeah, be careful. Be careful. Be careful, you see. In this battle we are engaged in today, we can't afford to settle for careless Christianity. You see, there are people in God's army today that are cowards. Then there are people that are not. They love God. They're not ashamed of Jesus. They are willing to fight. And they are not afraid of the enemy, but... But they're careless when it comes to those little things. Jesus said in Luke's Gospel chapter 11 verse 34, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Be careful what you look at, Christian. You may not be fearful and afraid. You may, you may, uh, Have a a desire to see people come to Christ. But maybe you become careless in your listening. Kind of. Music you listen to, the kind of jokes that you uh, traffic in, the kind of language that you expose yourself to. You may be careless in your living and and those things that you watch, the places that you go, the the people that you associate with. There are uh, so many people God could use in such a mighty and powerful way if they were just more careful and attentive to their life spiritually. You see, these people were more interested in their comfort than conquest. They were more interested in quenching their thirst than defeating the enemy. Without exception, you can say that when a man of God falls, more often than not, it's a direct result of his careless, casual. Not paying attention to the little things, beginning to compromise your life, you see. Prayer life is grown cold. Your praise and worship of God is beginning to dwindle, you see, and thus you're not able to do the work of God. No matter how good a soldier may be, a careless soldier. And cost you the battle. So he says, remove the fearful, remove those who are too casual, and then finally, recruit the faithful. You see, the third group in this army, well, if you count them, they're 300 men. These men, as we've already read, knelt down by the lake. They scooped the water up in their hands and drank all the while keeping their eyes peeled, watching out for the enemy, attentive to what was going on around them, you see. These were the men who meant business. Men for whom victory and, and being careful, you see, to maintain vigilance was important, and more important, in fact, than their comfort. These men were men who did not let their guard down. The Lord said to Gideon, these are the ones I want and you need. These are the men that mean business and they're ready to go to battle. Now, I'm sure that that didn't make Gideon feel a whole lot better because his army was down to less than 1% of what he started with. I mean, we still got, you know, all these troops, 135,000 on the other side, uh, to 300. That is not good odds. But I think of when Elijah on, the mount, on Mount Carmel faced 450 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets to one man. You see, God loves a fair fight. You say, well, what's fair about 450 to one? Listen, you can have many without having much. I think there's a tremendous lesson that we can learn that will encourage those of us who so often feel like we're in the minority. Living in a world and in a country that's increasingly sinking deeper into the cesspool of sin and perversity of iniquity and immorality. What's the lesson? The master's minority are more important than the immoral majority. You know, we might do more as the church with fewer soldiers if we simply had better soldiers. How about you? Where are you at? You see, Lenin, the founder of communism, said, We want fewer but better disciples. We want people, not people who will give us a spare evening once in a while, but people who will give us the whole of their lives. What's he calling for? Commitment that's deeper than just superficial and surface. You see, what God needs is not quantity. What he desires is quality. Because God plus one is a Majority, isn't it? That's the key. What we need to understand is just you and God can make a tremendous difference in the world. You don't believe that one man can make a tremendous difference? Churchill saved England. Lombardi, for those of you sports fan history, you see, turned the Packers from doormats into champions. Namath, another history for those of you that are sports fan, convinced the Jets they could win the Super Bowl. Those of you that are into uh, stock markets and things, Lee Iacocca turned Chrysler around. One man. Those are all Single men that had a tremendous impact. And we know their names today because of the impact they had. One man can make a difference. Most of you probably heard Jonathan Edwards, pastor, God used powerfully. Born in 1703, perhaps one of the most brilliant minds and the finest theologians that ever came. From this country. He and his wife had 11 children, and of his known descendants, more than 300 became pastors, missionaries, or theological professors. 120 were professors at various universities. 110 became attorneys. 60 were prominent authors. 30 were judges. 14 serves as presidents of universities and colleges. Three served in the U.S. Congress and one became Vice President of the United States. It doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian. It just takes all of the man that there is. DeWade L. Moody heard a preacher say one time, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man totally committed to Him. And when he heard that, Dwight L. Moody said in his heart, by the grace of God, I will be that man. And indeed, God powerfully used Moody. He touched two continents, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now don't miss the conclusion to this story. God takes this band of 300 men. They go to battle. They win the victory. And I'm almost done here. But notice how it was done there in verse. Uh, 16 we read then he divided the 300 men into three companies he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers and he said to them look at me and do likewise watch and when I come to the edge of the camp you shall do just as I do when I blow the trumpet I and all who are with me uh, then you shall also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and Gideon and so Gideon and the a hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just as they had posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands and then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and they cried the sword of the Lord in Gideon and every man stood in his place all around the camp and the whole army ran, uh, cried out and fled. Notice carefully here. They didn't throw a spear. They didn't shoot an arrow. They didn't hurl a rock or wield a sword. What did they do? At the command of God, they blew the trumpets according to the word of God. They broke the pitchers. They bared torches and they got the victory. And God Got the glory because every one of them knew that they did nothing to defeat the enemy but obey God. You see, that's key. Why did God do it that way? I think it's to remind us all of what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 33, verse 16 through 17. We need to remember this, especially today, especially today, in the present situation. The verse reads like this, two verses. Psalm one hundred thirty three, verse sixteen says, No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety, neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. No king's gonna deliver us, no president is gonna deliver us, no government is is going to deliver us. No military might or technology is going to deliver us. You know where our deliverance comes from, precious saints. Proverbs twenty one thirty one says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. He alone is the one who will deliver. We simply listen to Him, look to Him, rely on Him, and step out and continue to do what He's called us to do. Yes, we have been given the right to vote in this country. Again, we should vote. I hope all of you are going to vote. Prayerfully. Asking for the Lord's wisdom and direction and step up and not just throw up your hands and say, Okay, God, I've, I've been granted this privilege. Men have shed their blood and died uh, and for this nation uh, for the privilege and the right to worship the Lord, doing freely here today, presently, and the right to continue to vote, you see. And so we need to step up. You say, Pastor, the pickings are slim. Okay? Here's the deal. All that's necessary for evil evil men to prevail is for good men and women to do nothing. So you need to pray. You need to do the best you can to exercise that privilege that God has granted to us to, to step forward and do that. But, ultimately, really the problem, precious saints, I hate to say this, but it's the church what are we doing the salt and the light you say well, this country's just rotting out man it's it's going down well well you know what salt does it's to preserve i guess we're not being salty enough in the right way maybe we've moved into the kind of casual kind of comfortable kind of uh don't want to ruffle any feathers and make anybody uneasy with me. I'll just be a, a quiet Christian. I'll be that silent witness. Well, uh, you need to be a witness. Certainly need to be a witness. Your, your words need to match your walk. You see, uh, your talk and walk need to go together. If you're a believer, uh, you should have a behavior that looks like a believer. And then, as you look like a believer, you need to tell them why you look like a believer and who it is that you believe in and how it is that they can have a relationship with Him. You see, we need to shine brightly uh God's glory we need to be the salt you see the preservative uh in this country and and again you say oh what can i do you 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 do the best you can in your neighborhood at your workplace or where you go to school uh at the college whatever you're doing you be that example you uh, reach everybody that God brings your way to the best of your ability to take advantage of every opportunity to present the gospel yeah but we're not very many God God doesn't need very many. If every one of you, every one of you here today, will commit to being that witness, to stand and, and to know Jesus and to live for His glory and then to, to tell them and, and share with people the message of the Gospel and show them then what a commitment to live a godly life looks like. Again, they need to see what you say. If they're ever going to change. If you'll do that, and you'll impact those people that God brings your way, guess what? If each one of you... I just look at the disciples. What? Twelve disciples and and the enemy said of them in a fairly short order, uh, you've turned the whole world upside down with your gospel. Amen. Twelve people. What's our excuse? God help us as the church to know what we believe and then to behave what we believe that we might show what we believe wherever we go. May God fill us with His Spirit and a passion to that end. May we not sit by and watch things go down the tube and go, oh well, what can you do? Uh, There's so much you can do If you just pay attention, remember the story of Gideon. Not a lot, but victory was wrought. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the uh, faithful and continual work of your spirit to minister to our hearts. And now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to heed what we've heard. God, it does us no good to listen and to know uh, and not go and not show. God, fill us with your with your power. We, we cannot do these things on our own. We don't have the ability on our own with any words or, or anything to uh, simply uh, convince people, Lord, our lives need to be lived in such a way. Our love uh, uh, for them, your love through us, by your Spirit, Lord, need to be seen and sensed by those around us, Lord. They need to sense that there's a humility and a compassion, a true care for those that are lost, no matter what the perversion they're caught up in. Lord, may we show them the love of Jesus Christ. May we show them and share with them that there's a, there's, there's one Lord who can change them that, Lord, you've changed our lives. You've brought us out of the slavery and the addiction and the bondage of sin and brought us to Yourself. And maybe we weren't in the same sin and and it didn't look as bad in the society's eyes, but Lord, in Your eyes, sin is sin. And may we be those that recognize that. Give us hearts of compassion. Give us mercy and grace to reach out to those that are hurting. Lord, that need to see Jesus. May they see Him with greater clarity in us. And Lord, I pray if there's any today that have come and have not yet given their lives to You, Lord, that they would not walk out of these doors today without being born again, without knowing their sin is forgiven, they have the hope of heaven. It's not about coming to church that's going to change any man alone. It's about coming to Christ. And Lord, I pray if there's any that have not yet made that step, Lord, that they would not leave here today without talking to someone about what it is and how they can have a relationship with Jesus. Lord, bless us now as we, uh, Lord, go our ways. May you be glorified in our lives. And we'll give you the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So stand.